top of the morning into you. My name is Alan. So glad that you're here as we celebrate St. Patrick's Day here in August. You may be wondering why all the green stuff. Why green, 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 green? You've been taught your whole life. If it's green, it's not going to taste very good. But there's lots of yummy stuff in the lobby there. And you may be wondering why are we celebrating St. Patrick's Day in August? That's a good question. Well, the simple answer to that is that St. Patrick, or Patrick, was uh, not simply a leprechaun. And, and, and it could be, there's a whole story about Patrick, and his story is part of the church history story. For those of you who are new or vis- just visiting with us, this entire year we're going through what we're calling the whole shebang. The overall story of God in the section that we started last week is the 2,000-year period between the story that ends with our New Testament we find in the Bible and where we find ourselves today. 2,000 years of characters and thoughts and debates that absolutely transform and change uh, uh, and have formed who we are in our experience with God today. So we're taking a look at a few of the characters throughout that story. The character we're looking at today is this guy named St. Patrick, and it's not March, so that's just the way the calendar landed. So that's why we're celebrating a little bit of greenery uh, this day. But the character issue, the character trait that he models for us that we are taking a look at today is the power of forgiveness. He models this, and hopefully uh, today the Holy Spirit will stir something up within uh, some of us, many of us, all of us in terms of forgiveness. Have you ever found yourself feeling like you're in a pretty decent mood, and then you're surprised to see yourself lash out at somebody you care about, your husband, your wife, a friend, your child, and you're thinking, where did that come from? They've done nothing wrong, yet something is there. What often happens is that we lash out with those we do have access to because we can't access Uh, the ones we don't have access to, the ones perhaps who have hurt us the most. We can't get there. We can't get to them. We have this weight, this load, this heaviness of, of unforgiveness, and we're carrying it with us into our other relationships, and Christ does not want us to bear that weight. So hopefully this morning he'll be able to release us of some of that. Would you pray with me? God, I'm thankful that we get to gather in this place and we get to hear more of your stories, more of the stories of characters in, uh, in this whole shebang and may, may you come and, uh, and move us today. Father, with regard to forgiveness, we, uh, we want to offer it up to you. Whatever you want to stir up on our hearts today, God, we give you access to that. We give you access now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, there is a reason that I'm up here so early today, and if you were not here last week, I want to explain why. We want to give ourselves some time to respond to God uh, at, the, at the end. And the thought around the response is that uh, I know you come in here with, with your own stuff, with your own thinking and things that are weighing heavily on your heart, and maybe the message in particular connects with you. Maybe God is doing something in your life that is completely separate from what we have planned, and so we want to leave room for the Holy Spirit to have his way. And so we are at the end of our time, 15 minutes or so, the worship band is going to come up and, and uh, give us an opportunity to, to sing and, and to worship at the end. And then there are these opportunities throughout the room for you to participate in many different ways. And I want to go through that real quickly again in the event that you weren't here last week. We have over here to your left is the cross. And as you can see, uh, what 
happens here is you take one of these red cards and you can write something on there, a sin, something you want to let go of today, a confession, something that perhaps you brought into the room that you don't want to take out with you. And so you can write it and then literally nail it to the cross. If you're uncomfortable with the hammer thing and you, and you did not take uh, that course in school, uh, there's a basket underneath and you can just go ahead and drop it in there and, uh, and it's kind of in a symbolism of saying, I'm going to release it today. You can, uh, uh, another opportunity is to come up front here to these steps, and you can use them as an altar. We're calling this an unassisted prayer place. No one is going to come up and talk to you here. No one is going to say, hey, I've seen you there uh, the last three weeks in a row. You must have some serious issues, so we're going to jump in. That's not going to happen. It is not going to happen. Uh, there's just there's freedom here. You just come and encounter your God. To the right, here are our candles, and um, the one that you'll draw the fire from is, is really struggling. So we'll see kind of how that goes when we get there. But um, the candle in Scripture represents the presence of God. It also, uh, Jesus is referred to as the light of the world. So what we're saying with this light is we're saying, uh, and by lighting this candle, I want to think about, pray about bringing the light of Jesus into this area of my life or into this area of the life of someone I care about. Practically, with regard to the candle, you take a stick and, uh, and light the candle. You can douse the stick in the sand, or you can just pass the stick on to the next person and, uh, and keep the thing uh, moving there. We invite you to participate with that. To, uh, further off to the right, by, those, uh, by the exit doors there, is what, what we call anointing. And it flows out of uh, James' words in chapter 5. He says that if you are in need of healing... You go get prayed for by the elders of the church. And so either a board member or one of the pastoral staff will be there available to anoint you with oil. The oil is a symbol of God's healing power. And so we invite you, if that's what, that's what you need today, to come to your right and experience that. At either of these exit doors are what we call assisted prayer. And folks, as a part of our prayer team, would love to be able to pray with you um, Please don't go to those doors and pretend you're getting assisted prayer and then sneak out the door. That's, that's not cool, folks. Uh, so, uh, but that's what's happening in those corners. In the center back and behind the sound booth uh, and over on this side as well are uh, communion tables. They'll be uh, up for the remainder of this series. And you can come as a couple. You can come as a family, take communion together. You can, uh, you can serve each other. There will be a host there to be able to serve you if you would prefer that. It's just kind of however you want to experience that. And uh, so the communion will be set up every week for the next little while. At the very back, there is a box there for offering. For those of you who were not here when we, when we uh, did the offering, if you would like to participate in that at the end, that would be great. And as I said last week, you don't need to do anything, okay? You, where you are is a great place to just sit, stand, sing, not sing, journal, however you want to respond to God. I was so moved and excited about what God was doing here last week and your willingness to step in and participate. And we didn't know if anyone was going to want to participate. And it was, it, was, it was as if you all were waiting for this opportunity. It's as if you all were just standing at the door waiting for the opportunity to do something in terms of uh, what God is uh, doing in your heart. It was almost like um, early Friday morning at Best Buy for Black Friday. I mean, you just, you just kind of exploded out. It was awesome. It was very exciting uh, for us just to see God moving 
I was pumped last Sunday. At the end of the second celebration, there was a gentleman I had a little interaction with that kind of put the whole thing in perspective. I believe he was up front here um, praying and, and having some time with God. And the, the room had basically kind of cleared out. And, and he turned at me as he was walking away. He said, thanks, Alan. And again, I was kind of pumped. I said, no, thank you. Isn't this awesome? And, and he looked at me as if I had said something wrong. Because he kind of looked at started and he said, this is so hard. And it just was a great perspective piece for me. This, this, we are not playing church here. This is, this is real. And so if you come in and you are hopeful or you are thankful or you are desperate, there is a real God that wants to meet you here in this place. And I'm excited about him continuing to do so. This morning, as we continue to kind of set up for this response time to God, I want to talk about St. Patrick and his role in the church history and uh, where this all lands. Patrick was born in Britain, and he was uh, in a home where he knew about God, and he, he knew the whole shebang, he knew the story of Jesus. And at the age of 16, there were some Irish raiders who came through his town and scooped him up and took him as a slave. These, these were pagans, druids who came by and took this 16-year-old boy who was, who was old enough to, um, to be powerful as a slave, yet young enough to be manhandled by them. Took this 16-year-old boy, they didn't know if it was 15 or 16, took this Patrick, took him to Ireland to be their slave. And when you are in Ireland as a foreigner, you have absolutely no rights at this time. This was in the 5th century, 1,500 years ago. At that time, if you were a foreigner, you had no rights. So they would beat him and chain him and do whatever they wanted to do with him. He was property for those who brought him over, for the Druids who brought him over. He was there for six years, presumably between the ages of 16 and 22. Six years of slavery. He was not released. He escaped. And, he, uh, and the story goes that he ran, walked for 200 miles to get to the East Coast, to get on a ship and make his way back as a 22-year-old, back to his hometown, back to Britain. And he had a dream soon after that where he believed God was challenging him to go back to Ireland and tell them about Jesus, tell them who Jesus is, tell them the story of Jesus. And he responded to that call. In fact, he spent the next 15 years of his life preparing for ministry and learning and training. So between the ages of 22 and 37, he became a priest and then he became a bishop and then he was launched by the church to go back to Ireland to meet and to bring the gospel to the Irish people. A lot of stories and kind of folklore are kind of wrapped around St. Patrick and one story was that he banished all the poisonous snakes from Ireland. I don't know if you've heard this before. This is probably not true. There's more evidence that there's never been poisonous snakes in Ireland. It could have been that he was banishing paganism, that, that the paganism was kind of referred to as the snakes in Ireland. It's also said that he was trying to explain the Trinity to the Irish people, and they were having a hard time understanding it, so he reached down and picked up a shamrock. And he said, this uh, represents the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet it is one. It is the Trinity. They are, they are a, a separate, yet they are one. They are unique individuals, yet they are one. And that's why, to this very day, the shamrock continues to be a significant uh, uh, icon for the Irish people. St. Patrick was a, was a great missionary, 
And why I say great is that he didn't just come in and say, okay, Irish people, you need to look like and act like and dress like exactly what the Brits act like and dress like and look like. He didn't, he didn't confuse culture and theology, which is a huge issue in terms of missionary work. That you don't just come in and say you need to do everything that we're doing and then you can be a good Christian. He came in and he said, I want to bring the story of Jesus into your story. I want to let you know how this is the story that gets embedded into your story. A couple examples of that. One is that they worshiped fire. Fire was a big deal for these druids, for these pagans. And so, so Patrick um, um, invited the, the imagery of God's presence and what we talk about in terms of the fire, saying that was a part of their worship. That became a part of their worship of the one true God. And, and fire became a part of their Easter celebration. Another example of that is that they also worship the sun. And so what Patrick did is he embedded the sun onto the cross, and that look is what we now embrace as the Celtic cross. Because St. Patrick went there and said, this sun that you're worshiping, let me tell you what that's all about. The one who created that sun. The one who eventually sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. So it's great, 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 great missionary. God gave Patrick tremendous favor in Ireland and thousands of people were coming to Christ and he was ordaining priests to be leaders of these little churches he was planting in Ireland as he was traveling around. Tremendous story. Kings were being converted. An entire nation was transformed by the story and the power of Jesus. I want to show a real quick little video clip here to give kind of a, of a picture of the influence of Christianity into the Irish uh, uh, island. This is a story about the 13th century. Here, check this out. Oh, you've got to love the Irish. <laughs> God did a work uh, in the island through St. Patrick. Now, we celebrate St. Patrick's Day on March 17th, except for this year. And uh, the reason we celebrate on March 17th is that that's the day that Patrick died. And the reason there's often a little bit of drink and a pint that's connected to St. Patrick's Day is that March 17th falls somewhere in Lent, the 40 days prior, prior to Easter, where uh, as a part of uh, Lent, persons would uh, abstain from something, and often it's alcohol. And so with the Irish culture and celebration of St. Patrick, they said on March 17th, in celebration of, of St. Patrick, uh, this is the one day where you get a break from Lent. So you can drink on St. Patrick's Day. So that's why they say, to St. Patrick, hi! And the whole thing is just a big uh, party, mateys. And, uh, uh, and so uh, I think it's, for me, I, I love the Irish accent, but I don't quite get it. Uh, so I always mix Irish and Scottish, and so I don't know which one I'm landing on. I just like them both. And, and then they get a little pirate in there sometimes. Oh, mighty! And, and so, uh, so I'm not kind of smart enough to figure that all out, but I enjoy it. I love it all. But Anyway, uh, uh, St. Patrick had tremendous impact on the, um, on the uh, nation of, of Ireland. Now, the, the story of St. Patrick is that he goes back after being enslaved for six years, and he goes back and he brings forgiveness. He models forgiveness to the people. That, I believe, is why he had so much impact with them. Because he's saying, I forgive you, and he brought that in. Now, none of us here 
in the room, I presume, have been enslaved by anybody between the ages of 16 and 22, beaten and enslaved the way St. Patrick was. I imagine that's not your story, but I know there's a lot of stories in here. I know I've heard some of them. Stories where there is strain on our ability to forgive somebody else, that you have been wounded or hurt by somebody else. You could come up and tell your story and you could bring tears to the rest of our eyes because of what you have had to experience or endure. And then somebody else who's sitting in the same row as you could come up and just blow us all away with what they've experienced in life and how they have had to try to wrestle with forgiveness for somebody else. See, the reality is everybody has a story. Everybody has a sob story. Everybody has had to wrestle with forgiveness somewhere in our lives. Last night I was working on my message and, uh, and it was getting a little bit late and um, I had to endure the reality of a cricket who was in behind the fridge. And it, and it just, it, was, it became minutes and, and, and into an hour where I was just marveling at how loud this tiny little thing could be and wondering, God, why would you create this thing? And, and these little legs, why, why don't the legs just kind of burn up because there's so much friction with all the noise? How could this little thing make so much noise? And I'm starting to get, I'm starting to get, I mean, I've got work to do. And, and so I realized something about myself last night is that I, I hate crickets now. I hate them. I just hate them. I despise these things because what happens is you hear the cricket and you know what I'm talking about and they're over there somewhere and you can kind of follow the sound and when you get closer they feel the vibration somehow these little in the midst of all the they can hear me coming and they stop you know what I'm talking about and they're, they're period so I would go back and forth and sometimes I would go in and then it would be silence and I would listen in and I could hear him laughing and he's in there and he's like with another cricket going and then I'd walk away and the whole thing would come in and the whole thing was just keeping me up and it was driving me crazy and there's nothing you can do. Now I was looking up on the website. I'm not doing anything with my talk. I'm just totally con- uh, obsessed with this cricket and, and my wife is kind of amused by the whole thing and she said, well, just pretend you're camping and that was not helpful. And then when she was going to bed, she said, well, how's it going, little camper? And again, bye. And uh, I mean, the whole thing was really just driving me mad. I don't have it within myself to forgive a cricket. I just wanted to kill it. Everybody has a sob story. (laughs) Kind of on the other end of that extreme, I was thinking last night about where I find the hardest place to bring forgiveness is I'm reminded of uh, my mom. And when she, when it was diagnosed that she was terminally ill with cancer, there was a gentleman who came into her life, and uh, knowing that she was dying, he ended up marrying her. And certainly sounds like a very noble thing that he had done, and he spent a year or so with her uh, in the last uh, moments of her life. And, uh, but a couple of weeks before she died, unbeknownst to the rest of the family, he brought uh, the will to the hospital and had her, kind of coerced her into redoing the will so that everything that she had went to him. And my brothers and I didn't know anything about that until after the fact. And uh, the powerlessness of that, uh, the frustration of that, the lack of forgiveness that I have experienced as a result of that. I mean, it's not the money. It's, it's all the stuff 
that is really meaningless to him that we can't have any access to? When I think of the one person in my life that I have the hardest time forgiving, that's, that's the person that pops up. Everybody has a sob story. Everybody has a story like that. Forgiveness is hard. Jesus tells this amazing story in Matthew chapter 18. He tells a story about a man who is in debt to the king. And he's in debt way over his head. He owes 10,000 talents, which is the equivalent of about a million dollars. And for the sake of story, it could be a billion, it could be a trillion. Basically what it means is, is there's no way he could pay this debt off. No way. And he just falls on his knees before the king and says, have mercy, have mercy. And the king, out of tremendous mercy, completely forgives the debt of this man. Completely wipes it clean. And some of you know the next part of this story. This man who was just forgiven a million dollars walks out and sees somebody who owes him the equivalent of 20 bucks. And he says, you owe me 20 bucks. He says, I don't have it right now. I need some more time. Have mercy, have mercy. And this man who was just forgiven a debt of a million dollars says, no mercy. You go to prison. You owe me. You go to prison. See, that's what it's like when we don't forgive those who have hurt us. When in the midst of our painful, real, hurtful stories, when we don't forgive those who have hurt us, that's what we as followers of Christ are doing. Because we've been forgiven a debt we cannot pay. If we're a follower of Christ, then we have accepted Jesus as the one who has paid the debt for us. The, debt's, the million dollar debt has been paid, taken care of. Who are we to say, this is so severe, I can't forgive this person? Who are we who have been forgiven a million dollar debt to say we can't forgive a debt of $20 to the one who has hurt us? Regardless of how immense and tragic the hurt may be, it's $20 compared to what God has forgiven us. See, a person of character understands that in this life we need to learn how to forgive. We need to learn how to let it go, how to, how to remove this weight from our back and release it and let it go. A person of character learns how to do that even though it is hard. It is hard to forgive some people in life. And the reason it's so hard is that it always costs something when we forgive. It always costs us something. I mean, when you think in terms of finances, if you forgive somebody a debt, it costs you the amount of that debt. You don't, you're not gonna get that money. It costs you. More often than that, however, it's, a, it's an emotional or relational cost that it has for us. And if we forgive somebody, what true forgiveness means is that we release them from the power we have over them by what they've done to us, okay? So we, we have to clear that account by forgiving somebody. We wipe it clean. We clear that account. We're not allowed to bring that one up later on. When we forgive, that means that a year down the road when you're really frustrated, you can't pull that thing out again and hang it over their head. It costs you releasing that. It costs you. And the greater the forgiveness, 
the greater the cost it is for us. Forgiveness always costs us something. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 7. I want to take a look at the very end of, this, of an incredible story of a guy named Stephen. Acts is found in the middle of the New Testament. The New Testament starts with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then it's the book called Acts, which is basically the story of the rest of the New Testament. And all the letters kind of fit into this story that is called the book of Acts. And in chapter 7, we find the story of Stephen. Stephen was not one of the disciples, but he was one of the leaders, the young revolutionary leaders who gathered together to be, to be part of, this, of developing this thing that became known as the church. And what Stephen was doing here in chapter 7 is he's really going after the, the religious leaders, the ones who basically killed Jesus because of not believing in him. And he was really going after them and challenging them. And they were not a fan of what Stephen had to say. And in verse 54, Stephen's story ends this way. Acts chapter 7, verse 54. When they, these are the Jewish leaders, heard this, and these are Stephen's challenge to them, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. I don't know what that is. But Stephen... Full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him because this was blasphemy that Stephen was saying. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, who became Paul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Which is a euphemism for died. Died of stoning. He was the first Christian martyr. Died as he was proclaiming his faith. And he died saying incredibly powerful words. Very similar to the words Jesus himself spoke when Jesus said, forgive them, forgive them, Lord, for they, they, don't, they don't know what they're doing. And Stephen's saying is, Lord, do not hold this against them. Stephen, his last words, he's saying, I don't want to carry unforgiveness into eternity. Here, even in this moment, I do not want to carry this. I forgive. God, don't hold this against them. Amazing, amazing words for a man experiencing what he was experiencing. How could he do that? I think the, the evidence is in verse 55 there, right at the beginning of what I was reading. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. And then there's a story that flows out of that. When we are full of the Holy Spirit, when we are full of God, we are fully aware of the million-dollar debt that he has paid on our behalf. When we are full of that, we are full of his forgiveness, we are full of the Holy Spirit. When we are full of the Holy Spirit, we are full of being approved by God and we don't need to scrounge around to try to get his approval. And there is a strength that comes out of that and a freedom that comes out of that. 
about a year ago, I got an email from somebody here in the church, and it was kind of a painful email because I had a little bit of relationship with this person, and he was really frustrated with, with me and my decisions in terms of speaking, and said, uh, basically in the email, said, Alan, I looked at what the title and the topic is for next week, and I'm not thrilled. Once again, I just don't like the direction that you're going, and I, th- I would think there should be a team of people who inform you what topics and what titles and what direction that you should go as a church, and I'm willing to put myself in that, uh, on that team so that I can, I can do that for you. I'm willing to put my, help, help you out with that. Well, thank you very much. So now, my barometer for how I'm doing, whether or not I'm full of the Holy Spirit, uh, is, it has to do with how I respond to those kinds of emails. I mean, that is such a clear barometer for me in terms of where I am with the Holy Spirit. Because if my focus is on how, on how condescended toward I feel or how arrogant that might, might come across, if that's my response, I'm empty. I'm empty. But if my response is one of, of grace and forgiveness and knowing that my approval does not come from this person who wrote this email uh, 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 being pleased with what I'm doing, that my job is to please my Father in heaven, that if I can come from a place of grace, then I'm full. You see, if I am just wrecked by people's comments around me, even, particularly if I'm wrecked by, by people I don't even know on their comments, I'm empty, empty. But when I carry the weight of being forgiven a million-dollar debt and understanding that forgiveness that I've been given, that's full of the Holy Spirit. That's full of the Holy Spirit. There's a saying that says that, that withholding forgiveness is like drinking poison expecting the other person to die. We drink it. We poison ourselves and expect it to hurt somebody else. But the reality is we're hurting ourselves. We're carrying that thing with us. And we think that we are throwing revenge at somebody by withholding forgiveness to them And so often it's not hurting them at all. Oftentimes they don't even know about it. They don't even care. We're the ones who are carrying that with us. We're the ones who are drinking the poison. And God just says, I want you to be full of the Holy Spirit and be released of that. Because a person of character has learned how to forgive people, how to let this stuff go, how to to move on. St. Patrick learned how to do that. Six years enslaved. And he prays for them. And he forgives them. And then he goes beyond forgiveness. That's why I think he's exemplary in this story. He goes beyond forgiveness. He doesn't just stay in Britain and say, I forgive them for what they did. He goes back to them. That's beyond forgiveness. And sometimes we're called to do that. Remember the story in the Old Testament of Jonah. Jonah's the guy who was called by God to go speak forgiveness towards the Ninevites. And Jonah didn't want to go. And because he didn't want to go, he was swallowed up by the big fish and then taken back over to the Ninevites. If you're familiar with the story, do you remember why Jonah did not want to go to the Ninevites? His reason was not that he was afraid for his life or he was going to get beat up. He didn't want to go to the Ninevites because he understood the grace of God. He didn't want God 
to throw his grace at those pagan, druid, terrible Ninevites. I mean, it's so similar to the other story. And, and Jonah was saying, I don't want you to offer your forgiveness over there. That was what Jonah wrestled with. Read it in the story. It's so obvious. And when God comes and brings forgiveness to the Ninevites, Jonah says, see, I told you you would do that. That's what I didn't want to happen. And so he carries that in his heart. And God says, I don't want you to carry that around. There are times where persons are called not only to forgive others, but to actually go beyond forgiveness and bring the message of Jesus into those places that have hurt us the most. There are ministries that get started by people who have been hurt, and then they say, I want to go back, and I don't want others to experience what I experienced. It's a beautiful, God-honoring, amazing thing when that happens. When we as people remember that God wants all to be saved, all to be reconciled to him. The whole shebang story is that God wants every person to be reconciled to him. Every person. Even your boss. Even your ex. God wants every person to be reconciled to him. That's a part of forgiveness. So this whole thing about he's going to get what's coming to him. I trust in God's justice, uh, justice so she's going to get what's coming to her. That's just not part of the gospel. That's not part of God's plan. That's not his heart. He models forgiveness. And he invites us into forgiveness. Sometimes beyond forgiveness as modeled by St. Patrick. So for the remainder of our time here this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that gracious God. For some of you, it might mean experiencing his forgiveness. And maybe, you, maybe this morning is a time where you need to come to the cross and, and you need to release something and remembering today that God has forgiven you for that. Maybe for some, somebody in the room, this is your first awareness of the reality of the million dollar debt. And maybe today is a day for you to become a follower of Christ, acknowledging that he is the one who has paid the million-dollar debt or willing to pay the, the million-dollar debt if we respond to him. If that's you, I, I want to pray with you, and we'll do that in just a moment. Perhaps there are others who need to forgive somebody else, and maybe the altar is the right place for you, for you to come and seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can forgive someone else and maybe even go beyond forgiveness. Would you pray with me? Just bow your heads where you are. And if there's anybody in the room who would first of all like to pray the prayer of receiving forgiveness for the million dollar debt, in other words, becoming a follower of Christ, I pray that you just pray this prayer with me right here. God, I acknowledge you as a holy God. And I have a debt towards you that I cannot pay myself. And so, Father, I embrace your son Jesus as the one who paid the debt so that I am free. And I want to be a follower of Christ today. And, Father, I pray for, for each person in this room who is in need today either of forgiveness or to be 
encouraged to offer forgiveness to others. Father, would you give us the courage and the clarity to be able to do that today? In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I invite you now to...